want to just start out, I love Christmas music, I love the Christmas season, and I've always been a little confused by the passages, though, that talk about peace on earth, right? We just heard this amazing offertory of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and, and, and what does that really mean? Do we experience this? If God has come to bring peace on the earth, why do we experience so much strife? I mean, maybe if you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're like, I've never been to church before, but you know those, those Christmas carols that talk about peace on earth and we're talking about it and we're thinking about it, but maybe we don't experience that. And so if he came to bring peace, why are we not experiencing it? Because life is full of strife and conflict. Um, maybe your holidays were fantastic. Maybe they were full of cheer over Thanksgiving. Maybe some of you were at a gathering with family and friends where you had to walk on eggshells for a little while. Or maybe you even experienced a little bit of strife and a lack of peace because of who wasn't there. Maybe you had an empty chair at the table and it was a constant reminder of a broken relationship due to unforgiveness. Or maybe, maybe that's due to a, a personality conflict that you have with someone or pride and it's a constant reminder of this lack of peace. You know, I've recently lost a, a friendship, a relationship that I've had for 20 years with a person because of hurt and misunderstanding and unspoken uh, slight that had taken place. And we think about how fragile those things are, right? Relationships can be very fragile. I have another relationship that I'm on the verge of losing, a friendship that I've had for 30 years because I don't vote the right way. And news and social media portray me and my views uh, and put me squarely as the villain in that situation. You know, we could fill a whole hour easily talking about news media left and right, you know, that they're constantly seeking greater division, greater polarization. Do you know that if, if you have something that's, uh, one report said that if you have fake news, like it can be some kind of uh, conspiracy theory that on social media you're six times more likely to view that if it's like a crazy conspiracy theory left or right because it'll get more hits and it'll keep you on that site longer and these are the things that divide us right and if we're not careful we we throw articles at people we post things uh, we virtue signal we do these things and in the long run as a country um, we will lose the ability to actually have dialogue. We start seeing someone who doesn't agree with the way that we want to run the country, and we start to see that person as our enemy. We're losing the ability to have discourse in this country. We all experience this, don't we? We experience this tension in society. So we don't have peace personally. We don't, we don't see peace in society. But what about like warfare, wars and rumors of wars? Afghanistan, that's going well, isn't it? Uh, we think of what's happened there, and whether you agree with us pulling out or not, probably the people that are living there now are not experiencing what I would call peace. There's 100,000 Russian troops on the border of the Ukraine right now. Did you know that? 100,000 troops. And war could break out at any moment. China is threatening Taiwan. Israel is beseeched on every side, always under threat of rockets and warfare. And so we sing this. We sing peace on earth, goodwill to men. But what does that 
really mean? And then there are, the Bible's even confusing in and of itself. We can get into certain verses. What, what do we do with a verse like this in Matthew 10? Do not think, this is Jesus speaking, that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Maybe this one from Luke 12. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Let that sink in for a minute. Maybe that conflict we experienced over Thanksgiving makes a little more sense when we read a verse like that. You see, we don't experience this peace because I think sometimes we're looking for the wrong kind of peace. What God has really promised us in the sending of his son is peace with God. Peace with God is what he came to accomplish. There's something in uh, theological circles, a, a theological concept we talk about called the covenant of works, and it's an implied covenant. The covenant of works basically states that God had a covenant with Adam, that if Adam were to walk in obedience before the Lord, Adam and Eve, then he would have fulfilled the covenant of works and been able to eat from the tree of life and live forever. And all of his posterity after him would have uh, enjoyed that relationship with God, walking with God in the cool of the day, the way that Adam and Eve did in the first few chapters of Genesis. But because of the fall of man, that covenant was broken. Uh, Adam did not fulfill the covenant of works, and he actually lost the ability to fulfill the covenant of works because when sin entered the world and broke all of creation, it, it broke him, and it broke everyone after him. We've talked about that over and over from this pulpit, uh, this idea that sin and brokenness have entered into the world. But the covenant of works is still in effect. In fact, God even, if you go back and reread Genesis chapter 3, at the end of that chapter, Adam and Eve are are kicked out of the garden. And that wasn't really God being spiteful. God said, we will keep Adam, who knows now the difference between good and evil. And because Adam and Eve were now in a sinful state, God did not want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Think of that. What a mercy that was. He said, because Adam and Eve now are living in sin, he did not want them to live forever in a sinful state. And so he promised a redeemer. He promised that someone would come to rescue them. But the covenant of works is still in effect. The covenant of works is in effect, and everyone is judged by this standard. This standard of perfection that we are supposed to meet Jesus even re-mentions this standard in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. It's perfection. It's an impossible standard. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, the covenant of works is right there. It's still in effect. There's a standard that we must meet, and we implicitly know this. We know that there's a standard. Deep in your mind, you know. That is why every religion of the world has a set of standards, and people work towards their salvation. They think, if I am good enough, if I try hard enough, if I work hard enough, I will be saved. And we want to do this on our own. We want to contribute to our salvation. We want to be a part of this. Only Christianity says the opposite. Only Christianity says you can't be good enough. You need somebody else to fulfill this standard on your behalf. We need a rescuer. We need someone who will stand in the gap for us. I don't know if you guys have ever watched American Ninja Warrior. It's not one of those TV shows that I would normally watch. I don't set my, my DVR for that. And, but I'll tell you, I, it is a show that if I'm channel surfing, it's really hard not to stop and watch if you go by American Ninja War. If you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's an obstacle course that's pretty difficult to get through. And there are, you have to have amazing dexterity or hand-eye coordination in order to get through this series of, of things and you try to hit a buzzer at the end. It's unbelievable, but at the end of each warrior course, especially the, the, the early ones for qualifying, they have something called a warped wall. And the warped wall is this impossible thing. You have to run and jump and grab the top of that wall. Now, even this picture looks pretty amazing. I don't know how anybody in their right mind can do that. And yet, if you watch the show, they do. They run up there and they leap and they grab a hold of that thing. And I think for a lot of us, this is what we think it's like to pursue God and to pursue salvation. We think it's kind of like this warped wall. It's difficult. If I try hard enough and if I work hard enough at it, then I will be able to reach up and grab that threshold. I will be able to pull myself up and to reach that. But again, what the Bible teaches us is you can't. You see, the warped wall of God's righteousness, the be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, is a wall that's infinite in height. It's higher than the Empire State Building. You could run and jump and jump and jump, and you will never be able to reach the top, which is why we need a rescuer. Martin Luther uh, the famous theologian, he, he talked about God's law in this way. He, he, there was three different uses that he gave us. And one of those, he said, is that the law is a tutor. It shows us the standard that God has. And of course, it would show us also that we can't possibly reach that standard. Most of us have disobeyed and sinned against God in thought, word, or deed, or by not doing what we're supposed to do just today even before we got to church today. Since we've woken up this morning, we have sinned against him. And this standard is impossibly high, and it is this reason that Christ came to make peace with us. Let's look at that verse from Isaiah 53. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. It is a prophecy about his coming. And I love the language here, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him 
was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It is by his wounds that we are healed and his chastisement, because God crushed him, that is what made the peace between us and God. That's the peace on earth that we're singing about. Romans 5 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that the angels sing about, that they long to look into, that the wall is way too high for us to reach the top of. God knew that we could not draw near to him, and so he came. And he became a person, and he drew near to us. He drew near to us in love to make peace with us. Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We always kind of leave that out of the hymns, don't we? And, uh, and those Christmas songs, because it doesn't rhyme and go well with the, with the rest of the verses. But it does say that he, this covenant of works, is still in effect. Those who believe in him can experience that peace. That's the sword that he came to bring about. You remember the earlier verses we read where he said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. I came to bring division into households because when people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God is plundering the kingdom of Satan. Each person who comes to know him, he is at war with the kingdom of this world, and he is plundering it, and he causes division. Real division in households that take place because of the gospel. I have a friend who's a pastor in Egypt, and he told me a story of, they take in their, in their vows in Egypt, when you join their church, you say that if, if it's necessary, you're willing to die for the gospel. And this particular woman had become a Christian, and she was scared to tell her family about it. And she had been attending the church in secret, and she was getting ready to go off to Oxford uh, to study in England. And she felt like she needed to let her mom know that she had become a believer. And growing up in Cairo in a Muslim world, you can think that was probably a pretty terrifying thing. And so she told her mom, and she was packing her bag, and her mom pushed her out of a fifth-story window and killed her. You see, some people at different places in the world, when Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, and I came to divide families, for some, that is a pretty stark reality. Uh, for us, it may be the same. Some of us experience strife in our families because of our faith. Uh, probably not to the same degree that, that that woman did, but we will experience tension and issues because of our faith. So that leads us to the third point, is that we're supposed to be agents of his peace. His peace is supposed to go with us into this world. If we now have peace with him, how do we take that as we move into an unbelieving world uh, as his representatives? We're supposed to be an oasis of peace and a world of conflict. Look at this verse from Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live at harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That sounds pretty great, doesn't it? If we can live this verse out, just this chap, this section of scripture, we would be an oasis of peace. But it's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy to walk in those words that I just read. We have to appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit and allow his work. We have to surrender to him and allow his power to work through us as we enter in to those conflicts. You know, I want one of those touched by an angel moments. Does any of you remember that show? There used to be a show for those of you that are, that are younger called Touched by an Angel. And uh, it was a 30-minute show where this angel would kind of interact with people and solve everybody's problems in about 30 minutes. God would always show up and it was like, ding, and everything was great and it would work out. That's one reason I'm not crazy about a lot of Christian movies and stuff. They always kind of make everything just work out and it always works in about 30 minutes to an hour, which my life just isn't really like that. Um, but we want that, don't we? We want, okay, uh, I'm allowing God's power to work through me. I'm going to enter into this conflict. I'm going to enter into these situations. And just like touched by an angel, it's all going to work out beautifully. But it doesn't, does it? John 16, Jesus said, I have these things. I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. What is tribulation? It's an absence of peace. It's conflict. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, he promises us that it's not always going to be a touch by an angel moment. That we're not always going to experience the kind of peace that we want to. But we can experience that personal peace in him. So what do we do when, when we can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Sometimes we have to come to a place of surrender. We surrender the relationships to God because our striving is often not the answer. After surrender is when we truly start to experience that peace which surpasses all understanding that he talks about in Philippians 4. We close with this verse from John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You know, if you're here today and you're not a believer, and you're, you're a skeptic and you're thinking, I don't know if I believe any of this stuff. I will tell you that true peace that you experience personally, regardless of what's happening around you, doesn't happen until you make peace with the God of the universe. That's the peace on earth that he offers to us. 
And I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, Brian and I would be down front. We'd be happy to, to answer your questions. Maybe the person who brought you today, if you're here and you're like, I just, I need to know right now, today, you can know that peace today. Don't let today go by, another day go by without experiencing the peace that comes only from a relationship with the God who made you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do love to sing about the joy of the season. And Lord, the incarnation is the greatest miracle that has ever happened because you drew near to us when we could not draw near to you. And you revealed yourself in the person of your son so perfectly to us. And Lord, you enter into our mess, into our brokenness, into our conflict, into the war zones of this world, and you give us peace. You have made peace with mankind through the person of your son, and we can experience that personally. So I pray that you would fill us with you, that you would draw us to you, and even in the craziness of this Christmas season, that you would show us your peace. In Christ's name we pray.